0: Blog Talk Radio the the for me the
1: with the V.I. Valley, this is me, Melissa Cantola, here on to Radio. Radio, where to get started with their lesson. Today, this one is called Messengers of the King, and this is by John McCart.
2: Can you imagine walking every day with Jesus? Can you imagine hearing his matchless wisdom, everything he ever said was perfectly wise and absolutely true? Can you imagine being with someone who could love anybody and everybody? Well, it had an effect on them. What they learned in being with Christ literally transformed their life and as a result transformed the world.
3: Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Maybe you haven't thought of the 12 disciples as common men. Perhaps you think of them as hand-picked spiritual giants. But the fact is, the disciples weren't much different from you and me. And that's encouraging, especially if you are, like me, all too aware of your flaws and think maybe God could never use you. So today on Grace CU Weekend, John's going to look at those 12 disciples. You'll see how God used them for his purposes and how he can use you. John's current study is titled, The Master's Men. This is one of John's most popular series, and it's part of our year-long 50th anniversary celebration. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10, and here's John.
2: There were basically four phases in Christ's training of the Twelve. And I'm just going to give you these briefly. Number one was their salvation, or their conversion. And that is the initial calling. They were called to believe. They were called to Christ in a conversion sense. But then after that, they went back to their jobs, back to their secular employment, back to their homes, and there came a second phase. This is their calling, if you will, into ministry. Now, there is a third phase of their training, of their calling. First, to conversion, then to ministry. Thirdly, they are to be sent out, and that's where we come in verse 1 of chapter 10. Then there was a fourth phase of the training of the twelve, and that was after the resurrection and after the ascension, when Christ went back into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came into them, and they then scattered and went into all the world discipling the nations, and that was the final sending of the twelve. Now, in the process of training them, phase two and phase three, Jesus was basically overcoming five manifest problems that they had, and I want to talk about those. Number one, they lacked spiritual understanding. Now, that's pretty tough to start with, right? You're going to work 12 guys into evangelizing the whole world, only they have one basic problem, they do not understand spiritual truth. Oh, man. Lack of understanding. And that's part of the discipleship process. You have to overcome that. How did Jesus deal with that? Simply by teaching. Teaching, teaching, teaching. Now they had a second problem. Lack of humility. They were a proud, jealous, envious bunch. I can just see the Lord walking down the road, and they're walking behind Him, elbowing each other and pushing and shoving. And You say, well, what makes you think those, those are the 12 apostles? You shouldn't talk about them like that. Well, we'll let the Lord talk about them. Mark 9. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them this, what was it that you argued among yourselves about along the way? What were you guys fighting about behind me? See, all the while he's going along, he knows they're fighting back here. What was going on? And they held their peace. They just got real sheepish and clammed up because they'd been arguing among themselves, get this, who would be the greatest? Nice guys, huh? Real, selfless, humble souls. All the time our dear Lord is walking along, they're back fighting about who is going to be the greatest. And he sat them down, and he brought a little child, and he gave them a lesson on humility. Oof, what a rebuke. Look at Matthew 20. Now, the argument got really hot about who'd be the greatest. And James and John had enough gall to get their mother into the deal. And so in Matthew 20, verse 20, Then came to him Mrs. Zebedee. And she's got her sons. And of course they worshipped him first because you always do that when you want something. And he said unto her, What do you want? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Well, I'll tell you, folks, that is really brash. I mean, they wanted it so bad that they didn't have the courage to ask, and they got their mother to do it, and they stood there standing beside their mother while she asked that ridiculously selfish thing. Jesus answered and said, Do you know not what you ask? But that was typical. They didn't know what they heard, so why would they know what they asked? says, are you able to drink the cup that I shall drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, what? We are able? Of course. Of course. We can handle anything. Of course we can. He said unto them, all right, then you'll drink the cup that I'll drink and you'll be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but you'll never sit on my right hand or my left. And what he was talking about was martyrdom, persecution, in the case of James' martyrdom, in the case of John, persecution and exile. You're going to go through the pain and the suffering and the anguish. You're just not going to get the right and left seats because they're not mine to give. And then, verse 24, when the other 10 heard about this, they were furious. Why? Because they wouldn't stand for such pride? No, because they went in front of the other 10 they were mad that James and John were going to get those places. Not them. Their indignation wasn't righteous, it was selfish. And he says to them, boy, you guys are all fouled up about what it means to be a leader. Verse 27, whoever would be chief among you, let him be your what? Your servant. You got it all wrong, and so he had to teach them. And then he used himself as example. Son of man came not to be minister unto, but to minister and give his life, a ransom for many. Now, He had to deal with their lack of humility. How did he deal with it? I believe he dealt with it by giving them a demonstration of his own humility. He likened himself to a little child in Mark 9. He likened himself here to a servant. In John 13, he washed their feet and then he said, you should do in your love to one another as I have done to you, right? A new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, he overcame their lack of understanding by instruction. He overcame their lack of humility by example. He used an example of his own life as a teaching tool. They had a third problem. They had a lack of faith, which is fairly severe if you're going to be in the ministry if you don't believe God. They had a lack of faith over and over and over again. In fact, probably the most common phrase he ever said to them was this, O ye of what? Little faith. He would do so many things, and still they didn't see. In fact, in Mark four forty, He says to them, How is it that you have no faith? How can it be that after all of this, you still don't believe? How can it be? How can it be? How did He deal with their unbelief? By miracles. By mi- mighty deeds. Showing them His power over and over. In fact, the miracles, I'll be very honest with you, I believe in my heart that He did the miracles primarily for the disciples not for the crowds. They were secondary. The disciples needed to be sure and absolute and confident. They needed to know the resurrection really happened. He appeared to them, and He appeared to them again, and He let them touch Him and feel Him and see Him. They had to know. And He showed Himself, Acts 1, by many infallible proofs. So He overcame their lack of understanding with teaching. He overcame their lack of humility with example. He overcame their lack of faith by miracles and mighty deeds. All of this was part of the teaching process. They had a fourth problem, lack of commitment. They would say, we will never forsake you. Why, everyone may forsake you. Says Peter, I'll never forsake you. I would never deny you. Oh, they really talked it up. But when it came down to the crisis of that terrible hour, when Christ needed them the most, they were gone. And Peter was denying And Judas was betraying, and the other ten just split, got out of there. They couldn't handle it. They were gone. They talked a good game. In Luke 5.11, you know what it says? When He called His disciples, they forsook all. Isn't that interesting? When He called them, they forsook all. In Mark 14.50, it says, they all forsook they took off they deserted christ when they saw the swords and the staves and the lanterns and the romans when they started to smell death they got out oh yeah they thought they'd be okay but they weren't how did jesus deal with that how did he deal with that luke 22:31 i just love this peter is the issue his denial The Lord says, Simon, Simon, calls him by his old name because he was acting like his old self, Simon, Simon, listen to this, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. He wants to test you, Peter, and you're going to flee, and you're going to deny me, but here's the remedy, I have prayed for you that your faith... Fail not. You can stop right there. How did Jesus deal with their lack of commitment? He dealt with it through prayer. I've tried to disciple men in my life, men with a lack of understanding, and tried to work with that by teaching them. Men with a lack of humility, and tried to work with that by trying to demonstrate the right spirit. Men with a lack of faith, and tried to overcome that by showing them dramatically the power of God. And men with a lack of commitment and tried to deal with that through praying for them. Fifth problem they had was a lack of power. They were impotent. They had a lack of power. They were weak and helpless. For an illustration of that, and there are many, but for one would be Matthew 17, they were come to the multitude. There came to him a certain man kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's epileptic and greatly vexed, and he falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, they've been out trying to do their thing, and they're, they're doing all emotions, but nothing happens. Jesus said, "Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Who do you think he was talking to? Well, some people think he was talking to the whole crowd. Some people think he was talking to the twelve. Oh, you guys, how long do I have to put up with this? Bring him here. Jesus rebuked the demon, departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And then came the disciples to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, because of your what? Unbelief. If you had faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And you ought to know that things like this only happen through prayer and fasting. Great faith, intense prayer. They were impotent. They didn't have power. How do you deal with that? I believe he dealt with that in one marvelous way. In John 20, he says, He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, it says, And when the Holy Spirit has come, you shall receive power. Listen. Very simple. The disciples were chosen sovereignly by God to be the associates of Christ to found the church. They were chosen through Prayer. They were chosen to be trained, and in their training, they had to overcome a lack of spiritual understanding through instruction, a lack of humility through example, a lack of faith through wondrous miracles, a lack of commitment through prayer, and a lack of power through the agency of the Spirit of God in their lives. And the lesson for us is the same. When you disciple somebody, you're going to have the same problems with the same remedies. What a bunch. But as one writer says, in them he saw hidden weakness and incipient strength. There was an abundance of chaff with the scanty grains of wheat which would need much winnowing, but he was equal to the task. The germs of promise were there, and in time would yield the perfect fruit. He believed in the men he had chosen, and what was more, he had absolute confidence in his own power to make them what he wanted them to be. There's hope for us. Boy, I identify with those twelve, don't you? I'm so glad God could use me. I'm so glad that I can find others and invest my life in them. And they accomplished the task. Yeah, he, he transformed them. He really did. And you know, when they looked at him in Acts four thirteen, all of the hotshots in Jerusalem looked at him and said, these are ignorant and unlearned men. How is it that they have accomplished this? They're the, they have literally filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And they're uneducated. In fact, they're ignoramuses. And they're unskilled. But it says this, they took note of them. I love this, that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that good?
4: How did they know that?
2: How did they know they'd been with Jesus? I'll tell you how they knew. They did the same things Jesus did. They said the same thing Jesus said. They loved the same way Jesus loved. Finally, the job was done, and they went out as living mirrors to reflect Christ. And that's why they finally wound up calling them Christians, which means what? Little Christs. And it's all bound up in Luke six forty. Listen to it. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Isn't that great? Jesus trained them in three years. And when they went out, they were like their teacher. May I add a final point? They were chosen sovereignly. They were chosen after a night of prayer. They were chosen to be trained. And finally, they were chosen to be sent. And that's why you have in verse 1 of chapter 10, disciples being trained, and in verse 2, apostles. The names of the 12 apostles. They were chosen to be sent. Apostelo. Stelo means to dispatch. Apa, away from. To dispatch, away from. In classical Greek, the word is used almost entirely, of a naval expedition sent to a foreign city or a foreign country. In other words, somebody sent a foreign service. All right, you have been trained, now you're going to be sent. They became sent ones. That's what apostolas means, a sent one. Beloved, it's not enough to be saved. It's not enough to be called to serve Christ. It's not enough to be trained. It's only enough, when all of that's done, to go. And that is exactly why in Matthew, it tells us that we are to go into all the world and make disciples. We have been made disciples in order to make disciples. The Lord made 12 marvelous individuals with one exception, filled in the ranks later. And in Matthew 19, 28, He says there's 12 thrones for those. They're going to be elevated throughout all eternity. The process was completed in their lives, and we're to be in that same process Are you being discipled? Are you learning with a view to going? Are you discipling? Are you training someone with a view to sending them to reach others, whether here or around the world? You see, training and sending are two sides of the same coin. Discipleship and apostleship go together. Phase one, follow me. Phase two, leave and carry the message. So as we come to chapter 10, they begin with their first short-term mission assignment, learning by doing. They're going to go out, and they're going to run into all kinds of problems. They're going to come back, and when they come back, they're going to spend many more months with Jesus, and He's going to teach them off of that experience. And finally, phase four, the final phase, will come when the Spirit enters them and fills them, and they go to baptize and to teach all nations. What a marvelous pattern. That's their initiation. The second thing, and I'm just going to mention it, is their impact. When they went, they had an impact. It says in verse 1, they had authority or exousia, which means the right to have power over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Why? Because that would demonstrate they were from Christ, because they were doing the very same things He did. And you can follow them all the way through the book of Acts. And what are they doing? Casting out demons and healing the sick. They had an impact. They did the same thing Jesus did. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus healed the sick. They manifested the same kingdom kind of of power that Jesus manifested. And so they were inseparably linked with Christ. And they had a tremendous impact. They turned Jerusalem upside down. And then they turned the world upside down. And everywhere they went, there was a riot. People were converted because of their impact.
3: You're listening to Grace To You Weekend with the verse-by-verse teaching of John MacArthur. Today he continued his study titled The Master's Men. Along with teaching each day on radio, John serves as Chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary, both in the Los Angeles area. Now, today, John, you talked about how Christ discipled his followers, how he taught them, how he corrected them, strengthened them. All of that is incredibly helpful. But I'm also wondering, why did Jesus choose these twelve? Do we know what drew them to Christ and what drew Christ to them?
5: Well, yeah, I think we have to say that, first of all, they were the ones chosen before the foundation of the world for this role. I don't think it's at all accidental that the Lord chose these particular men. He knew them. He he knew them. He saw them. It says in the Gospel of John, he saw some of them before they ever saw him. He saw right. them with his omniscience. So they they were chosen. Even Judas was basically chosen by God for the role that he played. I think we have to start with that, that the Lord knew exactly who he wanted long before this history ever unfolded. And um, this is in the sovereign purpose of God. And that reality is still true. Look, you could ask, why Why am I John MacArthur in the ministry? Why are you Phil Johnson in the ministry? This is not some random happening. This isn't just sort of the coming together of a lot of uh, unplanned events that produced this. This is all in the purposes of God. Right. And th- that's a wonderful thing to, to realize. So we have to believe that the Lord has a place for all of us, if we're in His kingdom, to serve Him in unique ways and to fulfill the kind of calling and ministry that these men, who were his disciples, fulfilled. I want to offer something for you that I think will be a wonderful blessing and a kind of um, maybe an addendum to what we're learning in the Master's Men. It's a CD called A Tale of Two Preachers. Two of the apostles, one whose name is at the beginning of every list of the apostles, and one whose name is at the end of the list, Peter and Judas offer us incredible insight into two very different preachers. Both lived with Christ for more than three years. Both saw him perform miracles, heard him teach, saw his perfect life every day. Both denied the Savior, yet one was restored and became basically the powerful preacher on the day of Pentecost that was used by God to bring about the birth of the church. The other was doomed and damned and committed suicide. A Tale of Two Preachers, What Made the Difference? This sermon looks at the difference between a true believer and a false convert. For a limited time, we'll send you the CD, A Tale of Two Preachers, Free of Charge, to anyone who asks. This is a powerful, powerful message. You want to get it today. This is a powerful message, and you do want it.
3: This sermon will help you understand why so many reject Christ, and you also see how a true Christian stays faithful through any doubt or trial. Again, we will send you John's message, A Tale of Two Preachers, for free. Just contact us today. You can call our toll free number, 800 55 Grace, or take advantage of this offer at our website, gty.org. Again, to get this free CD, call 800 55 Grace or go to our website, gty.org. John's sermon, A Tale of Two Preachers, will show you what led Judas to betray Christ and how you can fight against those same kinds of temptations. You'll also see the great love Peter had for Jesus and how you can grow in your love for the Savior. If you've ever felt like following Christ was just too difficult, get this message. It will help you see why Jesus is worth any sacrifice. Again, we'll send you the CD of John's message, A Tale of Two Preachers, for free. All you have to do is call 800-55 grace or go to our website, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, encouraging you to be here a week from now. John's going to look at why God uses common people, just like you, to achieve his goals. That lesson is part of John's study titled, The Master's Men. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, on Grace to You weekend.
0: The end of a She graduated number one and had to give a speech. What would she say? What would she teach? She knew about God and this was a chance. She could bust a move or be afraid to do the dance. She told the truth and everybody heard. She got brave because she understood. If you want to be. Bear- Two they when we walk away, but
6: Creationist invention. This is Ken Ham, a missionary to our evolutionized culture and even to the church. Have you ever had an MRI? Well, these machines have saved millions of lives. They're a wonderful medical advancement. But did you know they're invented by a creation scientist? Dr. Raymond Damadian is a Christian who believes God's word beginning in Genesis. And he gives God the credit for his wonderful invention. He's a great example of creationists doing amazing work. You don't have to believe in evolution and millions of years to be a scientist. Those ideas are imposed on the evidence. But God is the eyewitness creator who was there at the beginning. He gives us the true history of the world in his word. And that needs to be our starting point.
7: Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com Blessed
0: is you
6: Accurate prediction. This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on why we can trust the Bible. If the history in God's Word is true, we'd expect that history to make sense of the world around us. Now because creationists start with God's Word, they base their research in that history. One such scientist is Dr. Russ Humphreys. He believes the universe is young as we'd expect starting with the Bible. So he predicted the strength of the magnetic fields of Uranus and Neptune before we knew what they were. He assumed only a few thousand years of decay, not millions of years. And when Voyager 2 was sent into space to measure their magnetic fields, Dr. Humphrey's calculation was accurate. The history and God's word is confirmed by science.
7: Be equipped and encouraged in your faith when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. You'll discover answers to the questions of our day when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
6: free helium. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the ministry that built a full-size ark south of Cincinnati. When radioactive elements decay, particles are released. Now, one of the particles is helium. It quickly slips its way out of rock crystals. Now, if decay has been going on for billions of years, nearly all the helium should be gone. But if our Earth is young, and radioactive decay, which produces helium, was much faster in the past, there should still be plenty of helium in rock crystals. Well, this hypothesis, based on an understanding of the history recorded in God's word, was tested. And the rock crystals were filled with helium. You know what this suggests? Rocks can't be older than a few thousand years. Once again, science confirms God's word.
7: See more examples of how science confirms the Bible. When you visit our award-winning website at answersradio.com, you'll be equipped and encouraged at answersradio.com. <inaudible>
0: First and Second Kings First and Second Chronicles Makes me want to sing And do the bop.
6: with God's word. This is Ken Ham, co-author of the book on Noah's Flood called A Flood of Evidence. When the remains of Neanderthals were first discovered, they were interpreted as primitive brutes. But creationists rejected this. The bones looked human. And furthermore, God's word is clear. All humans are descended from Adam and Eve created in God's image. So creationists argued they were human just like us. Now more Neanderthal remains have been discovered And we now know they buried their dead, wore jewelry, made instruments, tools, and weapons, and even had children with modern humans. Evolutionists have had to revise their ideas about Neanderthals, but creationists were right all along because they started with God's Word.
7: There's so much more to discover when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Get equipped with answers to the questions of our day at our award-winning website at AnswersRadio.com.
6: Rapid plate movement. This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant with a passion for sharing the truths of God's word. The prevailing scientific model says that Earth's continents move very slowly apart, about the rate your fingernails grow. But creationists have a different model. They propose that when the fountains of the great deep broke open during the global flood, the continents were ripped rapidly apart. Now if this is true, piles of cooler material should still be near the Earth's core. Well, ten years after this prediction was made, scientists finally discovered a way to find what's at the base of the mantle, and they found the cooler material predicted by the creation model. Because creationists start with the right foundation, their models make accurate predictions.
7: Plan your visit to the Ark Encounter in Northern Kentucky when you go to our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
8: Yeah, Soli Deo Gloria. (laughs) It's like deja vu, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm back, but nobody was asking where I've been, cause Christ and the music is no longer the hot trend. Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then, but I never got into this for a spot in the top ten. I do this for one reason, Jesus the true king, son, to help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1. And though the rap world is ever crowded, if heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000. I know you out there, I still get the emails, Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail. It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops, so we dropping the topic, whether it popular or not Sin is not just toxic And the clock is gonna stop God is not to be boxed with the wrath of God is burning hot We were locked in sin's closet Our conflict was cosmic God plotted to stop and hit the demonic with a shot I was copping narcotics Agnostic with a plot No optics for the knowledge of the God who often knocked Jesus rocked me with the gospel And it tied me up and not So I hopped in a rocket And met the prophet at the top Yo, that's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures But we're just gonna let that breathe for a second You know what I mean? The Bible says he was been forgiven much, loves much we're going to talk about BC a little bit. Ah! But he was total, not small like pots. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor So I know what the time is, but I ain't read Isaiah I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill beer style Through great mercy, spirit-filled and child, went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. One twelve displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the rod, man. Microwave wrath of God, fam. That's why because of Christ I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy, <laughs> but nowadays I'm regenerated, born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ, using literary devices. The spit is very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beach, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the raiders of the laws. While Power Records were choosing the carry G unit. That revolutionary theme music, the brothers from the loo held it down as well. But we noticed a big shift in 2012, around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism. Christian hip hop found a different algorithm and crossed over without taking the crossover. Made us all sober, years later, is it all over? Asked me if I was still motivated. I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it. Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion. I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions. They wanna reach the world, by all means, keep pursuing it. But tell me, why they gotta diss the church? Why they doing it? That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though. But no more laying low. I want them to play it slow. And I ain't dissing them. My prayers are the proof. Like boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. CHH like gorillas in the mist, with no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist, what's happening here, it's a different atmosphere, cats appear most concerned about a rap career, career. brothers overseas being slain in the sand, while we're vain in our plan, taking fame and some fans, and I ain't got time to philosophize, Satan got a plot devised, I'm seeing lots of guys apostatized, on top of all that, Donald Trump's the president, it's all good though, cause he's a Trump's the president, so more than ever, I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled, and we ain't never gonna stop, word to I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin, no riddle in it. Cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad to praise and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God addresses our depravity. The lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with the funding grace. so when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sin's decrepit depths left the mess. No rest was left till. Jesus, for death to death, the beauty of the victory, truly is a mystery, the cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history, before the
9: cross, they were saved on credit, after the cross, we've
8: been saved on debit, since our champion in the great war suffered, we gonna proclaim his death like the Lord suffer. so welcome to the Still Jesus Project, yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. <laughs>
10: This is from James. What are your thoughts on the New Living Translation? Thanks, James. This email is actually going to get people annoyed with me. Todd, people are always annoyed with you. I, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I actually kind of like the New Living Translation. That's right. I went ahead and said it. I wouldn't prepare a sermon with it, but that doesn't mean I can't use the right tool for the right job. Remember, there are formal equivalents, those are the word-for-word translations that are still readable. And then you've got paraphrases, all the way over on the other side, and kind of a myriad of translations in the middle. I think the New Living Translation is like here I, I don't think it's heresy to read the NLT. I don't think that you're going to get the type of detailed theological information you seek, especially in the New Testament, but it can aid you In getting the text, keeping in mind you're getting somebody else's understanding of the text applied to the text before you consume it. Having said that, I I think it can be helpful. You're reading a verse, and you just, I'm not even quite getting this. You can read the NLT and go, okay, I'm kind of getting the gist of it. And I find the NLT particularly helpful for two particular situations. Number one, reading the Old Testament There's theology in the Old Testament, but mostly historical narrative with theology woven in. It just makes reading difficult books, especially the prophets, where you you wonder who's the way the what, and the pronoun. Everything's kind of, and you're just kind of reading it like, uh, NLT helps with that. Second person that I think it can help, the new believer. But might I suggest, new believer, even as you read the New Living Translation, On your kitchen table in your 72 hours of daily private quiet time, have a more formal equivalent next to it. So you've got two tools that you can see. I got the general idea. Ah, but here's specifically what the author intended. Bottom line, right tool for the right job. Would you please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content?
1: That is from Wretched, and that's Tosh Wretched is W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, and that's on YouTube. You also have a website, wretched.org, and that has the radio show and TV show. And gonna do next is, this is from the green Waters. It says she knows what killed her in her past life. I
4: was encouraged today. I had a bout with uh, kidney stones, and I was. Very, very weak, and didn't really want to go out on a bike to interview people, but I decided to. And on a bike, I often think of what I'm going to say to people, how I start the conversation. And I decided I'd begin by asking the person, what's the definition of integrity? Well, the first person I went to interview told me her name was Sincere which is a, a synonym of integrity. This is an interesting interview, sweet girl, who uh, after the camera was turned off, I asked her what I normally ask people, do you have suicidal thoughts? And she hesitated for a moment, and she said she did. Uh, so I gave her my book, uh, which has now been published under another title called the Final Curtain on the Subject of Suicide. Uh, if you have suicidal thoughts, tell somebody. Don't let it be your little secret. It's very dangerous to have that little secret. Tell somebody, share your thoughts with others, and you'll find you're not alone.
11: What's your name?
0: Sincere.
4: That really is? Yes. People call you sin for short? No. Just as well. Well. (laughs) What does sincere mean? How would you define the word sincere? Just being true and honest and just being uh, very
11: understanding and open person i want to say well in terms of my name
4: what about the word integrity how would you define integrity just basically owning up to things that you do
11: word things that you say just having a overall
4: i want to say honesty about yourself now do you think there's an afterlife yes Now, you sound fairly certain. Is that just a belief or are you absolutely sure?
11: Well, it depends on what you mean by afterlife. Because I'm more of a reincarnation type person or like a, there was a, I've like lived here before like a past life. So what did you do in your past life? What were you and what were you in the life before that life? Well, in my past life, I feel like, I don't know, but I feel like I know how I died in my past life. How did you die in your past life? I feel like I was in a car accident in my past life, and that's how I died.
4: So your past life was fairly recent. It wasn't, like, a couple hundred years ago.
11: Yeah, well, you know, I feel like there's multiple past lives. I'm pretty sure, like, all my soul was in the colonial period at some point. And how did you die then? Um, I actually never thought about that, to be honest with you.
4: Who's in charge of giving out the bodies and these lives? I mean, when you come back, do you come back as a prince or a cockroach? Oh, hmm. And what do you have to do to merit a good body in your next life? How are you going to do in this next life?
11: These are all very deep thought questions. Um, So you don't believe the Bible?
4: I'm not a religious person, no. Well, the Bible says it's appointed a man once to die. You don't have multiple deaths. And this is after death, the judgment. Is that a scary thought for you? Yes. Tell me, why would it be scary? The judgment part. Let me get my thoughts on it. If I said to somebody, the police are going to be here in five minutes, they want to talk to you. Does that scare you? And they say, yeah, really bad. I can surmise the person's perhaps doing something illegal if they're afraid of the police. If you're not afraid of the police, you haven't done anything illegal, say, hi, police officer, I appreciate the job you're doing. But if you run away from the police, something's going on. So why would you be fearful of the judgment?
11: Just because I don't know what I'm going to do. Like end up doing before I die, you know. There's a lot of sins, and I'm not a religious person, so it's kind of like there's certain like the sins that you commit every day are kind of like you're supposed to repent for them, and I don't because I'm I'm not a religious person, so it's
4: kind of like repentance can't even help you. Did you know that Mm -hmm. people think that it can, but it's like it's like being guilty in a in a court of law, and the judge you say to the judge I am guilty, but I'm really sorry, I won't do it again. He's going to say, of course you should be sorry, and of course you shouldn't do it again, so repentance can't dismiss you from the court case, because he's going to send you to prison if you've broken the law, whether you're sorry or you're not sorry. So what sins are you committing that you're not ashamed of that you want to admit? Well, you know, like, you know, you're not supposed to lie. And you've been lying?
11: Well, you know, little lies, like nothing too big, like petty lies, but you're not supposed to lie at all.
4: Or you're... What about stealing?
11: Well, no, I'm not really big on stealing. I, do you I... have stolen? When I was younger, yes. You were younger when I met you.
4: <laughs> so you're a lying thief? No, no, I'm not a lying thief. Okay, let me just analyze what you told me. You said you'd lied mm-hmm. and you'd stolen. Isn't that a lying thief? Face <laughs> I said to you, sincere, I've lied and stolen, but I'm not a lying thief. You'd say, hey, face it, if you've stolen, you're a thief. If you've lied, you're a liar. You've got to call it what it is, or you'll never see God's mercy. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes. Do you know what that's called? No blasphemy. It's using God's name as a cuss word. He gave you life. He gave you family. He gave you the blue sky and eyes to see with and ears to hear good music, taste buds to enjoy good food. He lavished his kindness upon you and used his name as a cuss word. Would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? No. no that would dishonor her horribly and when you use God's name as a cuss word, it's called blasphemy and it's very serious in his eyes. Punishable by death in the Old Testament. One to go. And this is a doozy. Jesus said, if you as much as look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked with lust? Yes. So, Cynthia, I'm not judging you, but you've just told me you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. <laughs> so, if God judges you on Judgment Day by the Ten Commandments, we have looked at four. Are you going to be innocent or guilty?
11: <laughs> guilty.
4: Heaven or hell? i will got to hell. Now, does that concern you? Yes. Okay, now what did God do for guilty sinners so he wouldn't have to go to hell? Do you know? No. Well, Jesus came and died on the cross. Everyone knows that, but they don't know this aspect. Well, most don't. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus came and paid the fine. That's why he cried out, just before he died, it is finished. Which is a weird thing to say just before you die. Unless you're the son of God paying the price for the sin of the world. It's like this. If you're in court and someone pays the fine, a judge can legally let you go. He can say, Sincere's got a stack of speeding tickets here, but someone's paid a fine. She's guilty, but she's out of here because the fine's been paid by another. And he can do that with just and legal. Well, God can legally dismiss your case, forgive your sins, and let you live forever, all because of what Jesus did on the cross through his death and resurrection. What you have to do to receive God's gift of everlasting life is repent and trust in him that is confess and forsake your sins say god i've sinned against you i don't think sin was serious i just thought it was little lies and little theft and things like that but i, I see that i'm in big trouble on judgment day if you're judge, judging me by the thoughts of my heart and you're holy and perfect i'm in big trouble please forgive me that's genuine repentance being sorry for your sins but the thing that will save you is the trust in jesus like turning to a parachute won't save you but putting your faith in it trusting it will save you when you jump. Instead of hitting the ground at 120 miles an hour on your face, you're going to hit the ground on your feet at 8 miles an hour. So you're saved, and that's what a Christian is, someone who's saved from God's justice on Judgment Day. Is this making you think? Yes. Are <laughs> you going to think further about it?
11: Yes, I will. Yeah. I'll probably take home to my mom and talk to her about it. Is she a Christian? My mom is a Christian. Yes.
4: Well, no doubt she's praying for you, and you're listening today because of her prayers she loves you and I love you, I care about you and the only reason I'm saying these hard things is because I don't want you to end up in hell. What a horrific thought for God to give you justice, but he's rich in mercy and he offers you everlasting life through the gospel. So don't think about this for too long because you don't know when you're going to die.
0: That's from
1: YouTube, Living Waters. Check them out, Living Waters. And their website, livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com. Thanks for listening to the most controller here on Troopy 12 Radio. And let's see. Next we got for you, in with Invitable. Hmm.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never
9: change
10: It is beautiful. It is glorious. It is surprising, but it's also dangerous in that God allows you and me to make different decisions on different issues because he says to us, I am not going to micromanage your life. I am going to show you who I am. I am going to help you understand my character and nature, what I have done for you in the cross of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to go let you live. Does God give certain directives? Of course he does. There are plenty of commandments to do. There are plenty of commandments to not do. There are many rules, but when you consider the sheer number of decisions that you make each and every day... The Bible doesn't cover those. So why does God allow this? And please don't let this startle you. Wait, I I thought the, the Bible was good for all of life and godliness. It is, but it still allows liberty for us to think things through and apply theology. Why does God do it that way? I can think of at least two reasons. Number one, he recognizes that we're all in different places, theologically. He recognizes some of us are more mature than others. Some of us have studied the Bible longer. Some of us have been in the faith for 60, 70 years, and so they've got more wisdom. And so they are able to make different and better decisions, some less. And so he allows for that flexibility. But there is a second reason regarding human nature, and that is human flourishing. You and I are different. You like a certain kind of music than I do, and God says, okay, you like country western? Go ahead. Now, if it's sinful country western, I forbid that. But if it's simply a genre of music, go ahead. Eating. What kind of food do you like? How much food do you like to eat? What's your metabolism, God says? Well, then figure out your plate and how much you put on it. Another realm would be clothing. If you want to dress like a picnic basket, like, you know, some people imagine that actually do, uh, then you can make that decision. You want to wear a pantsuit versus a dress Go ahead. You see, God knit us together, and we have different tastes. We have different attributes. We have different skills. We have different gifting. We are in different zip codes. We're in different cultures. We're different ages. Do you see that if God said, "Every here's all the rules for all of those different scenarios about clothing alone, it would have to look like Islam. Consider all of the decisions that go into clothing, things that we don't even think about How old are you? Look, there's a a time to stop wearing tank tops, sir. There's a time to not go out in public like that. You can dress this way at this age, but it doesn't seem appropriate at that age. Or you've got more money, and you can buy different types of clothing. Wait a second. You're in a different climate. So now you need to wear sweaters and layers versus something that's less sweaty for you. And God doesn't get into the, nope, you're all going to dress like this. It's brilliant, but it's dangerous because we can abuse it. That is why Sinclair Ferguson rightly came up with four principles that will guide us through the choppy waters, brilliant, wonderful doctrine, but a dangerous doctrine. We need to make sure that we don't capsize our own boats or... The Boats of Others. Let's take a look at the four principles. Number one from Sinclair, Christian liberty must never be flaunted. Whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. Permit me to paint two pictures. Please note, this is not to make a point about the liberty, but to simply demonstrate the principle. Scenario number one, cigars. You love them, you smoke them. You believe that you have the Christian liberty to tug on those big, stinky, smelly things. I'm sorry, did that actually come out of my mouth? And let's say you have a blog, you have a Facebook page. Should you be putting pictures of yourself smoking and enjoying your cigar with your Christian liberty, blowing big smoke rings, knowing that other Christians who perhaps do not agree with your liberty will see it. Principle one says, no, you don't do that. Scenario number two, there's a fundamentalist Baptist church in town. You move to that town, you go shopping for churches, and you conclude the fundamentalist Baptist church, it's the best place for me and my family. And you know, very quickly, by attending there, going to a movie theater is considered verboten. Our independent, fundamentalist, Baptist brothers and sisters, whom I love, by the way, they do not believe that you have the Christian liberty to do that. You do. You now do not flaunt that liberty By talking about the film that you went to see, or trying to persuade them, or really just goad them on, oh man, this movie, you just don't know what you're missing. We don't flaunt our liberty. Principle number two. Christian liberty does not mean that you welcome fellow Christians only when you have sorted out their views on X, Y, or Z. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson wrote, God has welcomed them in Christ as they are, and so should we. True, the Lord will not leave them as they are, but he does not make their pattern of conduct the basis of his welcome, and neither should we. You and I need to remember how patient God is with, well, frankly, all of us. Are you as sanctified today as you were when God saved you? I hope not. Therefore, should you have not been welcomed into fellowship, embraced warmly by others because you were not as spiritually mature as they were at that time? I certainly hope not, and we shouldn't do the same thing. When we see a Christian brother or sister, whichever way this this happens to be flowing regarding Christian liberty, if it's an issue... Of gray area things, non essential doctrines, we should live lovingly in fellowship. It is hard to imagine that you and I would go through a checklist of doctrinal statements. We believe in the Trinity, three persons, one God. We believe in justification by faith alone. We believe in regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in an eternal heaven. We believe in an eternal conscious torment hell for the unregenerate who do not have their sins forgiven. But you smoke. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, I'm not a fan of smoking, breaking fellowship over cigarettes. Now, let's just say for a second you're persuaded that it's a sin. They're persuaded. It isn't. How do we love one another and live with one another? We do so lovingly in unity on the essentials, patiently growing with one another in all of these areas because if my friend has a blind spot, I do too. And how do I want to be treated? Do you see how dangerous this doctrine is and yet how brilliant it is? God lets us Make decisions based on a myriad of complex issues. Why? So that we will progressively grow to become more and more like His Son. And the way that He helps us get there is by living in communion with one another, kind of grating on one another striving with one another, tolerating one another, and helping one another grow in these areas. In other words, the dangerous doctrine of Christian liberty is really for our sanctification. Thank you for watching, well, frankly, anything wretched. You might be thinking, you're going to ask me for money now, aren't you? Nope, I'm going to ask you to partner with us. Yes, it involves you sending us money. But we don't simply see you as a mark. We would like to invite you to partner with us so that we can continue to preach the gospel, to equip the saints to preach and defend the gospel and strengthen the local church. Would you please consider partnering with us in that endeavor to find out how you can do that? Visit wretched.org.
1: That was, once again, that was from Britches, and that was called Smoking, Drinking, and Christian Ivory. This my name, Most here on Truth Be Total Radio, and I'll play for you, Shannon, one day.
8: Yeah. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded to abandoned in the ocean stranded. Surrounded by the waves of your weariness. Some things you only learn from age and experience. And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see, the time is coming when they will be a faded memory. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not. One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah. What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they want to know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising stars, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up
0: Fish kicking it off. We kick it old school. 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 We kick it old, old school. Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. The only change that comes winds up in a pocket Pop on the wagon Drive the hip thing All the while we're missing All the joy that God can bring You can take the new stuff You can keep the fluff The Bible is our tool And we're here to kick it old school Like a moldy piece of bread We act as if the holy word of God is all but dead
8: They said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. we just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. resurrection More power than gravity His
0: knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin's salary, took our blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice Let's rise our master Christ and rise, rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a ride or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save you well, it's not fake news. Our debt is in the gospel, sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed, medicine. We got the medicine. It's still human emergency, the serpent attack.
8: You think Jesus can't face? That's alternative facts. Spin up. Stop and listen to my composition, lots of rhythm but not tradition, no kind of different but God's consistent, no contradiction, my proposition Through crucifixion he must encripple cripple his opposition It's not some fiction I'm spitting, the Son of God is risen And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven Jesus came to unlock the prison, and through the Spirit he brings a new birth Attrition. At times I listen, to a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing The proper vision is my suspicion, we drop mission. Not to this, but the word of God is it not sufficient The doctrine is that the gospel fixes our shock condition God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition Stand up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man Trust, Jesus is alive The king. in the background like elevator music but we gonna celebrate and relegate them we refuse it they hate christian hip-hop i peep myself they say we too redundant well let me repeat myself what i gotta say almost feels too real estate sit back and feel the way to what a real estate because yo jesus christ got me in the real estate i'm purchased property i feel like i'm real estate if the father wasn't gracious no synonym again he came straight blameless no synonym again nothing's been the same since no synonym again faker's Black is fragrance, no synonym. This is not the picture in a frame, the still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trains pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, up, up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is
0: alive and his people he'll revive. wrong.
9: Truth be told radio check us out on our facebook like page as truth be told radio you can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com that is is dot c-o-m truthbetoldradio.com truth do you have any questions suggestions comments or want to tell us anything send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username links. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S M I L E S A N D S T U F F dot C-O-M smilesandstuff.com So stay social with us and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio.
12: one among everyone's favorite bible verses not found in the bible where does this saying come from anyway well you can thank rogers and hammerstein for the phrase the way we have it in the sound of music the main character maria says
11: the lord closes a door somewhere he
12: opens a window so hey maybe you did not get that job or the house you wanted and your dreams didn't come true but cheer up when god closes a door he opens a window you know it sounds like you just said god's way is not as great as your way Have you considered that maybe God shut your door because he wanted you in the house when it came down? That's the part we don't like to think about. We don't want to imagine that God would ever make us go through anything hard. But 2 Corinthians 1.9 says, This is to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Romans 8.29 says, It's to make us more like Christ. James 1.2-4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Rather than saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window, consider Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. When we understand the text...
1: Like I said, that's when we understand the text. Also known as WWUTT. And you can find out at com and also their YouTube page, WWUTT. And thanks for listening to us Ms. Cantorola, here on um, Trippy Toll Radio that play a song. This is Go Fish Was Saved. I have a
0: bottle! we So
1: To join us uh, Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. This one show is live. And we're going to go out with Yancy and Friend and the VR Billies. Bye for now. <laughs>